we're at the end of chapter 13 in Kings 2 here. We got a few more verses to go to wrap up the chapter. And we're up to verse 22. It says the following, which means Chazael, the king of Aram, oppressed Israel all the days of Yoachaz. So what's happening here is that we're circling back. It's the end of the chapter. And we're circling back to what was the beginning of the chapter. We're talking again about King Yoachaz. Uh, and then after we talked about King Yoachaz at the beginning of the chapter, we went on to his son Yoash. We had the story of Elisha and Yoash and the arrows. And here the narrative is circling back, returning to what it originally sets out to do, which is to chronicle the kings of Israel, give the historical account, who rules, what kind of king each one was, how many years each one ruled, who succeeded who, and the story of Elisha and Yosh and the arrows in these previous verses, that's like kind of an interlude. And now we return to the political national sphere. And it says in verse 23, And Hashem had mercy upon us, and He was gracious to us. And He turned to them. That not to us, but to them. He's talking about to the kingdom of Israel. He had mercy upon them, turned to them. Why, why did he have mercy upon them? Leman Brito et Avram Yitzhak Yaakov. Because of the Brit, for the sake of the covenant with Abraham, Yitzhak, and Jacob. So it's not that we deserved it, that we should get a respite from the pressure of Aram, and the oppression, but because of the Brit, the covenant between the Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and he did not want to destroy them and he did not want to cast off the kingdom of Israel from his presence until now. That means until this verse is written here, at this moment, the Jewish people are still in Samaria. The ten tribes still are in there in Israel at this point because Hashem uh, had mercy on them and because of the covenant that was forged with the forefathers. So clearly from this verse, we see that the kingdom of Israel deserved to be cast off. But Hashem holds off on the punishment. Why? The verse says why. Leman Brito, for the covenant, for the sake of the covenant, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And this is an important tenet in understanding God's supervision, supervision of his people in bringing the salvation or the redemption or in this case, holding off on the punishment, there's a ketz, there's always a final time God has determined to advance the redemption, or in this case, bring the punishment of the exile of the 10 tribes. And as we know, the 10 tribes eventually, eventually will be exiled, but there are several factors that can delay that punishment. And we spoke of one of those factors that can hasten the, the redemption or to... Um, the lay punishment, one of those factors was suffering. That if the Jewish people undergo a lot of oppression and suffering, and that's what we saw in the previous verse, that Aram was oppressing them. And if there's unbearable humiliation, God will advance the redemption for, the, for us, or in this case, he'll delay the punishment of the exile because the suffering of the Jewish people is a desecration of his name since his name is tied to the situation of his people. And when the Jewish people are de degraded, then God's holy name is too, because the Gentile says, where's your God? Why is he letting me do this to you? So it's as if God doesn't exist. God forbid. And the word Chilul Hashem, 
the desecration of God's name, in Hebrew, Chil Hashem comes the word Chalal, which means empty or a vacuum, as if Hashem's name is emptied out from the world because His people don't look like they have a very serious God. They're protecting them. And so Hashem in that case will step in and bring salvation. By the same token, um, that's, that's what's happening here. The unbearable oppression by Chazael that he asserted on us, uh, that which we mentioned here in verse 22 and previously in verse 4, this oppression delayed the punishment and brought the salvation. Now what else changes the kets? What else can delay the punishment? The Brit Avot. That's what's mentioned in verse 24. The Brit Avot, or I'm sorry, in verse um, 23, the Brit Avot, which is the covenant of the forefathers. That this too um, is connected to the concept of Chilul Hashem, the sanctification, desecration of God's name. After all, God chose the Israel. He chose us. There's a covenant He forged with our forefathers. And so, even if the Jews don't rep don't repent and aren't worthy, he can advance the redemption in the merit of the fathers because there was a breed with them, right? And he's got to come through on the promise. Now, there's a concept that the merit of the forefathers expired, but God's love for Israel never will. So in certain situations, like the one mentioned here, God acts for the sake of the covenant of the patriarchs. That's what it says. Leman Brito Avram Yitzhak V'yakov. And that's written clearly in uh, Exodus Rabbah, the Midrash Exodus Rabbah 136, chapter 1, Midrash 36. It says the following, that in Egypt, uh, the Exodus, it says about the Exodus that God knew he must redeem them for his name's sake, Leman Shemo. And it says on account of the covenant he forged with the patriarchs. So that's, even though we don't know anything, there is a covenant with the patriarchs and that will hasten redemption. Okay, so let's now finish off uh last few verses of the chapter. Verse 24. And Chazael died. And his son Ben-Adad reigned in his stead. So Chazael was the major oppressor. He's replaced by Ben-Adad. And there was a, a Ben-Adad in the days of Ahab. As well, so obviously Benadad is the name not of a specific person, but it's the generic name for the monarch uh, of of Aram. Just like Paro is the title for the king of Egypt, we have a Benadad every couple of generations who is the king of Aram, and he now replaces Chazael. And now we wrap up the chapter in verse twenty-five: Yishav Yoash Ben Yoachaz, VeYikachet Arim Yad Benadad. So it's and Yoash, the son of Yoachaz, he returned and took the cities from the hand of Benadad, the son of Chazael, which he had taken from the hand of his father Yoachaz in battle. So Yoash, who is probably the savior that's referred to in verse, uh, I think it's verse five, they mentioned the savior that came. They don't say who. So one of the commentaries is that this is the savior, Yoash, the son of Yoachaz is taking back what was taken from us. He's able to win back the cities from the hand of Benedad, which were taken from the hand of his father. So we, that's the, the glimmer, uh, the, the salvation that's brought to us. But it says at the end of the chapter, that he smote Aram three times. Yoash smote him three times. And he recovered the cities of Israel. 
So those three times he won, that's exactly corresponds to the story we heard previously that we read about the arrows. Remember, he smashed the arrows three times into the ground? And Elisha said, why didn't you smash him five or six times? Then you would have had a more decisive victory. You would have totally annihilated them. But he only did it three times. So he was able to, uh, he was able to be victorious over them three times, but it wasn't a decisive knockout victory. And so that we see the prophecy being fulfilled as we often end chapters, we just want to show that the prophet was, was on the money with his prophecy. He did it three times, just like the prophet said he would win three times. Okay, and that's how we end the chapter. Now, these kings of Israel, I mean, they're an interesting bunch. And we just read about three kings, all sons of Yehobah Nimshi, Yoachaz, Yoash, and Yerovam. We touched upon those three kings. And on one hand, when scripture deals with them, scripture doesn't view them in a very positive light. Um, they're always described as going in the way of Yeravam, son of Devat, etc. Yet on the other hand, we see they have some redeeming qualities. We see here in this chapter, Yoash, King Yoash's uh, deep reverence and respect for the prophet Elisha. That's a glaring example of the good traits of some of these kings. We saw Yoachaz, we just mentioned here, uh, it says about him, Vayachel Hashem. In the beginning of the chapter, he prayed to Hashem. It's a Vayechel is the word Moshe Rabbeinu is used ever. When he asked for forgiveness, Vayechel Hashem, he prayed deeply to a God. So we see Yochaz also repents here and there, and Hashem showed him favor. So we see that the kingdom of Israel, it's not really wicked to the core by any means. Yet eventually they will be exiled. And even Hashem has mixed feelings about the ten tribes, so to speak, has these mixed feelings because Hashem's fondness for the ten tribes, uh, it's reflected in a very famous prophecy by Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 31 has this amazing prophecy, a very known, powerful prophecy. Now, of course, Jeremiah, he lived during the period of the kingdom of Israel towards the end. He was around for the exile and he, by the way, is the author of the book of Kings that we're learning now. And in chapter 31, there's a really amazing prophecy. It's a very famous one. A lot of songs come from the verses in this prophecy. And it's all about the reuniting of the ten tribes from the four corners of the earth, coming back to the land, uh, reuniting with their brothers of Judea. And again, it's a very, very touching, uh, touching uh, chapter. And uh, just a couple of verses from it. You could see Hashem's affinity for the for the kingdom of Israel, for the ten tribes. And he calls them uh, throughout this chapter as Ephraim. Ephraim, because Ephraim is one of the names for the ten tribes. We have a few names for them. They're called the kingdom of Israel. They're called the ten tribes. They're called the northern kingdom, the Shomron. And Ephraim is one of the names because the prominent tribe of the ten tribes is Ephraim. That's the uh, progenitor of Ephraim is Yosef, right? And Yosef was... Jacob's favorite wife, uh, Rachel. Joseph was the son of Jacob's favorite. And um, so there's a special uh, special um, relation to Ephraim. Hashem looks at him as Bechori Ephraim. It says, it says in verse 9, in uh, chapter 31 in Jeremiah, in verse 9 it says, Ephraim Bechorihu. Ephraim is my firstborn. In a way it is his firstborn because his firstborn from Rachel, right? And by the way, Ephraim is also one of the names for the uh, ten tribes 
They call it in Ephraim as a general term because the first king was from Ephraim. Yerovah ben Eva was from Ephraim. Many of the kings of the ten tribes were from the tribe of Ephraim. So again, we have in chapter 31, he relates to Ephraim. Ephraim Becharihu. It says in verse uh, in verse 18, he says, Shamoa Shamouni, Ephraim mitnoded. I have surely heard Ephraim uh, moaning and complaining. You have disciplined me like an unruly calf. And I have been disciplined. So here you see in the prophecy here in verse 17 that Yermiah is quoting Ephraim, quoting them, and they're saying, you disciplined me like an unruly calf. I, I know I've been a bad, bad boy, right? But I have been disciplined. Hashiveni v'ashuva. Restore me and I will return. Ki Hashem because you are Hashem my God. And then it says in the next verse, in verse 19, Ki Achareshuvi, after I, I strayed, Nichamti, I came back, I repented. Safakti al Yerech, I beat my breast. Boshti v'gam Nichlamti, I was ashamed and humiliated. Ki Nasati cherpat Norai, for I bore the disgrace of my youth. So we, we see here that the 10 tribes are trying to do the right thing. You know, they got that Pintaliyid, they got the Jewish spark, and finally, in verse, the next verse, verse 20, this is really a touching verse. Hashem says the following, Ben Yakirli Ephraim, is not Ephraim my dear son? Yelid Sha'ashuim, the child in whom I delight, though I often speak against him, I still rem remember him. My heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. So that whole chapter, very touching chapter, is Hashem's special affection. You see it there for the 10 tribes who he calls Ephraim. And even as, he, as he's punishing them, he eventually uh, cast them out. But we see in this prophecy, he will also bring them back in the kibbutz galiot, in the ingathering of the exiles. And we should merit to see, uh, in, as we live through the process today of the kibbutz galiot, we, we see here in Israel, we have an ingathering of the exiles. There's no question there's a kibbutz galiot. We should merit to see that Ephraim, the 10 tribes joining their brothers, and all the people listening to this year in Chutz Laaretz, you know, abroad, to come participate in the uh, Kibbutz Galiot process, which is happening, the ingathering of the exile, come to Israel and join that, that redemption process. That's just one of the many reasons to come home, and we should merit that. Amen.